Is there a cover? Dude, five bucks is a lot of money. I could buy like a box of cereal with that or something like that. I mean, it's not like they put in any effort making those songs. What do you strum some chords? I mean, seriously, why is there a cover? Hey everybody, welcome to Is There a Cover, your podcast about songwriting. Here we talk about singing stories and living songs in the words of the late, great Kent Finley. And I hope this podcast finds you doing well, whatever you're doing right now, whether you're doing the dishes or working on some music or pretending to work on music or mowing the lawn, whatever you're doing. I hope everything's all right. Because things are pretty good over here. Uh, myself and the band, we just put out a record a little bit ago. We had a party at Mohawk, and it was really fun. Um, I want to thank Redding West and Daisy O'Connor for playing that. And uh, our new record is out in the world, so check that out. The new record's called Tonight's Just Begun. It's out on our website. It's up on iTunes, Spotify, all those places. So check it out if you haven't yet. Let's see. What else is going on? Um, July, got a ton of shows lined up. Uh, a lot of them solo, a bunch with the band. So check that out if you were wanting to see myself, Chris Strand, uh, play uh, some music this upcoming month. Um, and with that, I think we're just going to move into the interview. Today on the show, I have Terry Klein. Now, for those of you who don't know, Terry Klein was originally from Boston, where he used to be a litigator. And recently, he decided to leave that whole life and come back here well, not come back here, but move down to Austin and take his uh, chances at doing the songwriting thing. And I've got to say, he's doing some great stuff. He put out a record recently called The Great Northern, which was recorded with Ron Flint, who I've worked with a couple times and is an awesome engineer producer. I believe Walt Wilkins produced it, too. So um, without further ado, we're just going to start plunging into uh, the interview, we're but we're going to bookend it with two of his songs. We're going to start off with the song Anywhere But Here, or excuse me, Everywhere But Here, and then we're going to end the interview with the complete version of Better Luck Next Time. So, here we go. about the weather made love when we were done you said goodbye I miss you I said I miss you too don't know if I believed but it felt like it was true and then you kissed me like you'd never done before Parting such sweet sorrow And you walked out my door And I loved you in Montana And in San Diego From Tacoma to Topeka On up to Orono And I loved you in your letters And with the phone pressed to my ear I love you 
way but here. Where are you from, Terry? I, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. And how long were you there? Like, wh- Did you start playing music there? Uh, well, no, I started playing music actually in Los Angeles, California. What? Which is where what were you doing in L.A.? So you were I, an actor, right? No, no. <laughs> so I lived in Boston until I was 11. Um, okay. And then my mom and my stepdad moved us out to Los Angeles just because they wanted to. Okay. Um, they didn't have jobs. They didn't have anything. They just wanted to live in Los Angeles. And I was pretty happy about it because I wasn't tremendously fond of Boston yeah. as a kid. And so, and Los Angeles is cool. Uh, and, you know, I'd watched like Chips when I was a kid. <laughs> and so okay. like, I wanted to live in Los Angeles. And right. so that was great. And so I lived in Los Angeles from the time I was 11 till I was 20. Okay. Um, and I was in a band in L.A. Okay. Uh, in my late teens uh, that was called Bubba Tikis. <laughs> And we played at the Troubadour and the Whiskey A Go Go. Oh, cool! So and you places hit all like the big that. spots and uh, like on the Strip and all that, right? Yeah, and uh, and so I so we were kind of like a riff-based okay. metal band almost. With, <laughs> okay, with like a lot of kind of funk and progressive elements in it. Right, too. All right. And so I wrote a lot of the riffs, yeah. um, and the singer wrote most of the lyrics. Right, um, and so that was kind of my first uh, experience, like playing music live and all that yeah. kind of stuff, but I didn't sing at all. Hmm. Um, so, okay, so you go out to L.A., you're playing in all these, playing in rock bands, and your parents, okay, did they do things like that a lot? Were they kind of like peop- whimsical? Maybe, maybe let's put it that way. Just sort of like going out on, a, like they decided to do something, they were just going to do it, didn't matter how? That was the most whimsical thing that, mm-hmm. that, that they ever really did. My, my mom and my dad split up when I was really, really young. Okay. Um, and so my mom uh, was as methodical as she kind of needed to be. Right. Um, and, uh, but, you know, in like the mid-80s, which is when we moved, Boston mm-hmm. was like kind of on shaky ground. And you kind of oh, yeah. had this sense that it was teetering. Um, and like in the Scorsese sense of it, like that's that's my like lone connection to Boston. Right, <laughs> right. No, I mean just the economy was horrible. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, and Los Angeles was just like this, and you know, like 1984, they had the Olympics, and it was just kind of right, this, right. this kind of boomtown. So, um, and you know, they don't have winter and all this sort of right. stuff. Um, so. Uh, that was kind of the craziest thing that I think I've ever seen my mom do. Wow. Um, uh, you know, she, she, my brother is six years older than me. Um, my mom and my dad had kids really young. So she was yeah. 20 when my brother oh, was Oh, wow. Born, yeah, that tw- is young. And 26 when, when they had me. So like, so there's definitely like a tendency towards yeah. whimsy in the family, <laughs> I would guess. Uh, but, uh, but other than, but like other than, once we got to LA, it was just kind of like, we were pretty settled you know it was Mm -hmm. you know she got a job and and started you know working really really hard and just kind of trying to keep things as it she made the transition as easy as as she possibly could and it kind of felt like natural yeah Yeah. i lived in los angeles now cool great you know did she help you get into music at all or like were were parents involved in that uh did you just was it like a rebellious thing how'd you get into it it was always there, man. Yeah. It was just, it was one of those things. Like I remember when I was three or something, uh, my parents, my mom or my grandmother or something got me a ukulele. <laughs> okay. And I was obsessed yeah, yeah. with the ukulele. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one, one day it disappeared. Okay. <laughs> and we, I, I, ha- I have deduced what happened to it, but like, oh, no. so I had my ukulele and I had the Sesame street play set that like, if you, 
if you opened it up all the way, kind of looked slightly and had the same kind of proportions as a drum set. And so okay. I would like, I would like nice. bang on that. And, <laughs> uh, and so like music was just, it's always been really important yeah. in the family. Um, you know, my great grandfather was a songwriter, mm-hmm. um, and played really? in, big, in big bands and sort of stuff like that. Like, like in the twenties. Band- okay. Like exactly yeah. what I'm thinking. Big band. Right. Um, wow. and, know, that's awesome. and, uh, and my grandmother like was my, on my dad's side was, was totally a big organ player right. and, um, and would sit behind this cool old Hammond mm-hmm. and play, like New York, New York, and sing it at the <laughs> yeah. top of her lungs, and so, oh. um, and so like music was all there was always music in the mm-hmm. family, you know. They were always playing music and listening to music right. and stuff like that, um, and so it, uh, and, and then like I just sort of discovered that I really wanted to play guitar when I was mm-hmm. like when I was fourteen. Um, what what pushed you to it? Uh, Edward Van Halen it would be my <laughs> guess. <laughs> You saw him play, you were just like, that. I want to do that. Yes. Yes. Uh, (laughs) That was was really big. You know, I'd started listening to Jimi Hendrix and stuff when I was 12 or so. Um, Did you have a stage? Because I I never had a Jimi Hendrix stage, and I feel like I missed, like, a vital part of growing up because I'd never had it. I did. Um, I I definitely got really into Hendrix when I was was 12 and 13 a little bit, and then a little bit more in my late teens. Right. And like just kind of consumed, mm-hmm. are you experienced an Axis and yeah, Electric yeah, Ladyland yeah. and stuff like that? Um, and uh, but that didn't kind of push me the way that listening to Eddie did. And I yeah. had a friend who was just like an amazing shredding guitar player, and so that <laughs> right, kind right, of right. affected things, right? Um, and so, so were you like jealous of the other guy, and you're just like, man, I want to do that, or just like, I suppose you could be inspired too. That I think I was way. more inspired because yeah. he was really really good yeah, yeah yeah um his name was darren benson and i'm not sure where he is these days but um he was just an insane guitar player. yeah uh and then for a while he took up trumpet and then i lost track of him okay um interesting yeah well so okay so you're doing that you're playing in bands and you're doing something very very different from doing the music that you're doing now which is very folky and it seems definitely like it fits in with sort of the texas country scene as well um so what got you from riff bands to here like walk me through like how you got to where you are now oh wow so i, I mean, mean i don't know how big of a process that right that is. it was such a long <laughs> i mean it was an incredibly long journey because i dropped music for a long time like um, what made you decide to drop it um you know i think that that there was a sense in my family that it was time for me to start growing up right yeah um, no I, I quit for a while too and so there's that point yeah. where you're like oh well it's time to be like a real yeah. person now and stop doing music yeah and yeah. i and i started to actually become a good student in school oh, okay and so i thought well um maybe i you know and and so i started like doing stuff and like hanging out with non-music people and um and so I just kind of I, I went away from it and decided yeah. I sort of wanted to try and be a grown up for a while. Okay. Um, and so I was at Cal State Northridge at the time. Okay. And then I transferred to the University of Michigan, and that's where I met my wife. Oh, okay. Um, I went to law school, worked in oh, politics, wow. worked in politics, and oh wow, and then became a lawyer for a long time. Um, and I had I always carted my electric guitar around with me. Yeah. 
my 1988 Fender Stratocaster. Yes. That I, <laughs> yes, that I bought at Matt Umanov Guitars in Greenwich Village. Oh, that's um, awesome. And uh, I always carted around. And then in the summer of 99, mm-hmm. I saw Buena Vista Social Club. What? That movie. And I was like, ah, I need an, I need an I acoustic that. guitar. Yeah. I need. That's so good. And so I went to all the Albany, California, I think, Guitar Center. Okay. And I got a Taylor. Okay, nice. And I still have. It's an old 310. Mm-hmm. And so then I was carting around my electric and my acoustic. Right, right, right. And like I would pick them up every now and then. Right. Um, and, uh, and then... Uh, and then in like 2008 or nine or something, I was walking past our neighbor's garbage can and there was an old Hagstrom guitar, okay. which is a Swedish, these crazy yeah. Swedish guitars that have all these switches and stuff uh-huh. just sitting in their garbage. Really? And so I picked it up and I pulled it out and I started playing it. Um, and, uh, and I had a friend at that point who was also, and still is like a huge kind of hobbyist guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we started messing with it. I bought a pod (laughs) so that I could like play and like listen, like, and like do like Mesa boogie and like shred with it. And I plugged my old Strat into it, which I didn't even know if it still worked because it had been like in basements and I didn't even know if it was still going to, but it did. Um, and, uh, and so that kind of rekindled my interest in guitar. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and then just through kind of happenstance, I started to find country music. Okay. Um, who are the ones who did uh, it for you or how'd you find it? Uh, so, so what I would say is the first person that really turned me on to it was Hayes Carl. Oh yeah, Um, yeah. So, so I was listening to WERS, which is Emerson College's mm-hmm. college radio station okay. in Boston. And they played K-Mag Yo-Yo. That oh, song. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I saw him play that uh, solo at a song swap with Randy Rogers. Oh. And, like, Randy Rogers, like, before, he's, like, they're, bit, like, placing a bet. And he's, like, I bet you... It was like they had like a bottle of whiskey. He's like, I bet you like three more of those that you can't make it through that whole song without messing up the lyrics. Uh huh. And he made it to like the last verse and then he screwed it up. <laughs> and it was yes. so funny. Oh, but K Mag Yo Yo is a wonderful song. I it, love that song. Yeah, it was like one of those things where I was picking up uh, our older daughter Zoe, like from first grade, or so it was 2011, so she was seven, so second yeah. grade. And I just like sat in the car, yeah, and just listened to that song all the way through. And I was just like, and waited, and you know, I think I tried to Shazam it or something, and mm-hmm. and I saw it was him, and it was just, and then I discovered more of his catalog, right? Um, and uh, and my dad had always really liked country music, mm-hmm. um, and so I started talking to him a little bit about country music. He said, "Well, you might want to check out." Waylon and you might want to check out Willie and that sort of stuff um, and then my grandparents passed right. away in really quick succession okay um, and I was the designated grown up in my family okay. and I still am yeah, kind yeah. of but mm-hmm. less so yeah. like if you look at me I'm not as grown up as I used to be <laughs> you're uh, playing in bands yeah. and playing music right <laughs> And so I was the executor for both of their estates. Okay. And they lived way out in the middle of central Pennsylvania. And so I had to drive seven or eight hours to get there. Oh, wow. And this was kind of like we didn't, I, I rented a car. It didn't have satellite radio. And yeah. All you can get on the road is mainstream country music. Huh. Okay. Like that is all you can get reliably. And so 16 hours in the car over, over a weekend. And, you know, at first I was kind of like, well, I'll just listen to this. And I was like. They can really play their instruments. And then I was like, 
these songs are not bad. Yeah. Like these are well crafted pieces of music. Yep. And like then I started to and like there's some not good ones, like really bad ones, but that's oh, true sure. of pop music. You oh know? yeah, there's some terrible pop music out there. Um it's true of all kinds of music, but there are some really, really good ones. And I found yes. myself kind of waiting for them. Mm-hmm. Um and uh and so that just really got me that okay. really gave me kind of this country music bug, but I knew that that wasn't really what excited me. Right. Um, and so I started listening to a bunch of Hank Williams. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> yeah. But like, because well, he's one that I haven't like delved into much like at all. So I don't know. I think I listened to. I had some friends who were really into metal, and they directed me to Hank Williams the third. Hank, yeah. the th- who was just Hank. out of his mind. Yes. <laughs> but like, so. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't uh, dove, driven, divin. That's not a word. <laughs> I haven't delved into it yet. But okay, so you're listening to Hank, and that was the one who like really started to get you into country. And yeah, and so that's when I, uh, you know, I started to. Uh, I, I was listening to them. I was like, I, I want to try and learn some of these songs. Yeah. They're just so awesome. Yeah. And I started learning them, and they didn't seem. Like the once you kind of stripped away the mystery of it, mm-hmm. which is like I would say eighty percent of yes. of Hank Williams, mm-hmm. but just like you know, not too many chords, you know, and and you know, weird song structures for nowadays. But like right. you kind of you can kind of see the song structures and and that kind of led me to start mm-hmm. trying to write honky tonk songs. Yeah. Which is what I started doing originally. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, man, that's awesome. Did uh, you get a honky tonk band or like did you just do it on your own? I just did it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um and uh and they were horrible. <laughs> horrible songs. <laughs> do you remember any of the titles? Uh so uh, so the one we were, I was, we were doing a pick and circle the other night, and the one I pulled out for everybody was the song that goes, "You seem to like me, but you don't love me." <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it's a tragedy. <laughs> I just might cry, something like that. <laughs> okay. um, you know, I wrote one called That's "You Kiss Me and You Walked Away," just kind of like oh. <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Uh, and you know, so there were just a lot of bad songs, and yeah, there. but. But that led me to, you know, you got to write a lot of bad songs. Oh yeah, I wrote years of bad songs. Yeah, I still write bad songs all yes. the time. Yes, I think I like maybe one out of four I keep. Right at this point, maybe. Yeah, I think that's yeah. With me, it might even be like one out of eight. Oh wow. Um. Wait, so how how often do you write? I try to write every day. Oh nice. Do you like finish a song every day, or is it just like I'm at least gonna crank out a verse or something? Uh, crank out a verse or or met or like a word like the. You oh know, wow. Um, you know, I get stuck on, on, on words and, yeah. and so, and so know. then what do you do when you get stuck? Do you get, cause I tend to get like frustrated and just say like, ah, I'll put it aside. And then somehow maybe even like a year later, it'll just pop into my head. Like, Oh, that's right. I had yeah. this whole plan. Yeah. Usually if it's a word problem mm-hmm. initially, I realize it's a bigger problem than that. Okay. It's a line or a phrase, mm-hmm. right? Um, or it's an order problem. Like I'll, okay. I'll be convinced that like that that a word is is in the wrong. It just doesn't sound good, and then I'll realize well, it should be the first line. Right. It should be in the right, first right. line of the verse, and I should swap the first and third okay. lines, and that kind of gets me there. Okay. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I mean, I don't really get writer's block in the traditional sense of not having knowing how to write. What okay. my writer's block is. I just write bad songs <laughs> for like 
two months. Yeah. Just She's a lot just of garbage. bad songs. <laughs> and that's how it manifests itself. Yeah. Do you ever find that you start... Because um, I'll, I'll like write songs that'll be like very similar, 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 and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I've, I've done that enough. I can't do that anymore. That's way too many about this same moment <laughs> in my life. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely... Like, I have... I wrote a ton of songs about me deciding to stop practicing law and start mm-hmm. doing music full time. Oh, I'm sure. Um, what, and what was that like? If you, you can take that question so after that. If you no, can. no, no, no. Uh, that was, um, uh, it was just an obvious thing. Okay. In the sense that I felt uh, a compulsion to do it. Right. Um, and, uh, like, like you know, was there like a day where it just all of a sudden clicked or was it just like a building thing and then when I f- it over? When I first started writing, mm-hmm. uh, I really had this sensation that I was tapping into something. Yeah. Um, and that it was kind of like magical. Right. And it was so different mm-hmm. from like the very, very straightforward, logical, rational process of being a lawyer. Right. And getting up in court and, mm-hmm. you know, and dealing with clients. It was just a totally different part of my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I just started to feel like I really should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to, I, I, I really want to be doing this. Mm-hmm. And it was before I'd even really written anything that was even kind of good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was that aspect of things and there was the other aspect of it which was that practicing law for me was not what I had wanted to do Yeah. Um, and I had spent a lot of years trying to talk myself into it right right um, and uh, and and knowing and, and becoming more and more convinced that I was really not doing what I was supposed to be doing. Okay. Um, and just being really unhappy. Well, um, it seems like that, that'd be a job where you have to love it because it, there's so much work involved. And Yes. Yeah, I and, can't imagine. And there are people who do. There are there are litigators, uh, which is what I did. So I would, yeah. do, I would do courtroom civil disputes, business disputes, right. and things like that. There are people who are just born to do that. Yeah. Um, and who love it, who love the fight, mm-hmm. and love the conflict. Right. Um, and love the pressure almost. And yeah. kind of the not knowing what's going to happen and just get really addicted to it. Um, and those are really good litigators. Right. Um, I was not one of those people. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you don't strike me as the type. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was good. Right. I was good at it. Yeah. But, uh, but I was good at it to the detriment of the rest of my life. So, like, I would, oh. wa- I would, I would walk in the door at home. Yeah. And uh, my family knew, not even to ask me how my day was. R- oh yeah. Um, or you know, what'd you do at work today? That was just off limits. Right. Because. It was just it just was such a soul sapping right. thing for me mm-hmm. um, to sit and just kind of be in a fight with people all day, all I'm kinds sure. of different people. Yeah, um, I'm I'm pretty conflict averse. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and you, you can't know. get out of it there. No, and so and so, you know, I, I don't know how I talked myself into it for as long as I did. You know, yeah. I practiced for 15 years, but I really, oh, wow, yeah. I I really did, and. Uh, and then when I found this thing that I felt like I could maybe do, mm-hmm. 
you know, writing songs, it, I just, I, I really latched onto it as quickly as I could. Yeah. Um, and as intensely as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I mean, I don't know. There wasn't a day. Okay. When I decided. It was a real process. Like, okay. I thought I wanted to do it. I was pretty sure I wanted to do it. Um, and, uh, and we can talk about kind of like yeah. the workshop culture and all that sort sure, of stuff sure, and like yeah. getting out and, sh- and actually the, you know, like you can sit on your couch and write a bunch of songs, right. but like you got to get out and play them you for do. real people who yes. know what they're talking about. You exactly. Know? Well, and I mean, I know for myself too, cause I've had stretches of my life where I wasn't doing music and I got really, really unhappy and I know I started to do and I'm not saying you did this, but I know for myself, I started to like just kind of take it out on other people and you don't mean to, but you just like walk in and like you snap at people and you're like, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I just, it, it just happened. And you start like apologizing all the time. And then you start to become like self-aware of like, wait a minute, something's not right. And then I know for me too, then I got back into writing songs and it was like, oh, Oh, that's where that goes. And so it's really, it's amazing to hear that somebody else went through the same thing. Cause I was doing a academia, like grad school um, for English. And so just writing all these papers about, yeah. you know, obscure texts and things and just getting like, Oh man, you know, lost in libraries. Yeah. But yeah so songwriting for me, um, and definitely like starting to get into like open mics. That's how I started again. Is that how you did it? It totally is. Yeah. Um, like out in a, out, you're still out in Boston at yeah. this point, right? Yeah. Um, Wait, there's some famous ones out there. Like some, because yeah. there was that whole like Josh Ritter came out of there, like yeah. that whole scene, right? Yeah. Um, so there is the one that people have really heard about is at the Lizard Lounge in okay. Cambridge. Okay. And they do a competition and it's every Monday night. I think there are like 20 or 22 spots or something okay. like that. Um, and you go up and you get two songs and right. then, um, and then if you, and then they pick out two people or three people at the end okay. of the night to come and play one more song oh, and that's then great. they give, and then they pick that person and give them, you know, like you get the door or something, yeah. like the musician's door. Oh wow. Something like that. So it's like, it's like 60 or 75 bucks, but, Still um, rolling but yeah. in it. Um, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Getting paid to live the dream. <laughs> Uh, you uh, know. That's that's the sad part is that's good money, especially for yeah. an open mic situation. Yeah, yep, it um, is. Wait, it's interesting they do it like a competition though. I don't. Yeah. Those always. I did one or two of those where they were like that, and I always kind of. I, a, I thought it was a, a little odd. It can create a weird vibe. Yes. Um, the person who's who has run it there for the last 10 years or something and who just passed it on, though, is this guy named Tom Bianchi. Okay. And he, like, was just militant about the culture in the room being, mm-hmm. we are going to be respectful and we are going to be enthusiastic. Yeah. And we are going to... We are going to relish the fact that we're in this room listening to all this great music. That's awesome. Together. That is awesome. And we're going to be quiet. Yes. Um, and so, like, some of the best music I've ever heard in my life, I heard in that room. Wow. Um, you know, there was an, an insane duo that's still active and was a, a showcase at the Folk Alliance mm-hmm. this past year called The Jellyman's Daughter. Okay. From Edinburgh, Scotland. Mm-hmm. And they got up and they played a cello and vocal cover of Can't Buy Me Love huh. and like 
and they just like blew the doors off the place. That's awesome. And everybody was just like, oh my God. You know, it was just so cool. But in, just a total interesting yeah. weird aside is that when you play a cover down there, you take yourself out of the running for the competition. That makes sense. Um, so you have to That's play originals. That's good. That's good. And so That's like, a good call. And so a bunch of people will just go down there and just like they'll play one of their originals. They'll play a cover and then they'll leave. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's fine, you know, I mean, but it's a good way if you just, if you're, what you're looking for is a chance to play music in a serious environment. Yes. Like it's just, that was a really great Mm -hmm. way to do it. Yeah. Um, did you ever, I I mean, I don't know how long you've been down in Austin as of yet, but did you ever make it down to Cheatham street warehouse for their songwriter night? Yeah. That's what I'm starting to compare it to. Cause I know I used to go every week for like two years almost like when Kent was still around. Yeah. Just go there all the time. And the whole goal of the night, you know, because everybody's sitting there listening. And I remember my whole goal every time was just to see if Kent would say, like, I liked your song. Like, he always said it the <laughs> same way. I liked your songs. And then I was like, okay, that's good. Yeah. I'm going to put that on an album. Yeah. And if he did, because he wouldn't say anything if it was, if it was not good, he would just like, thanks for coming. Thanks for playing. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, I got it. I see what you're saying, Kent. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So, so I got here in July of last year. Yeah. So he'd, he'd passed a year or so beforehand. Yeah. Yep. Um, but uh, Jenny Finley, his daughter, yeah. is actually running kind of publicity and some radio stuff for me on this record. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and, uh, and, I've, and when I played at, at Cheatham Street, uh, I met Sterling. Uh, oh, yeah, Finley. yeah, yeah. Um, and so it, that is a great great venue and uh and a meaningful one like it's kind yes. of a, a magical space you know? i completely agree um and you know so like i had a friend come down from boston who's a songwriter up there and i said we got to go to cheatham street yes um and so we we made the drive it gets a little dicey when you're driving back up 35 at oh, like man. you know 12 30 and <laughs> i have had yeah and you've been sitting there listening to music and drinking yeah. like and by the time you're driving back you're just like oh man we gotta get home yeah yeah i have had uh I've had some drives. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then they're like, let's randomly shut 35 down to one lane. Yeah. And you're just like coming back. Like, <laughs> man, uh, no, I know when I used to, um, when I used to smoke, that was, that was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Cause I'd be coming back and I'd be like, well, all right, here we go. <laughs> and you know, before you know it, I'd get home and I'd go, th- I'd have gone through like half a pack and I was like, this is ridiculous. Ugh. You know, don't do that anymore, which very thankful for, but like, Man, those nights were rough. Those, oh my goodness, yeah. So Cheatham Street's really good. Um, so you got here, and did you just dive right in, or like, how did you? How? Because you had to bring your whole family down here, right? Yeah, um, I did. How I, How was the pitch for that? Because I, I, I'm assuming there was a conversation. There was. <laughs> um, there was a there was a long conversation, and uh, it was. It was easy in the yeah. sense that in, in a certain, in a couple of ways, it's been really hard in a couple of ways and really easy. But the main aspect of it is that we just mm-hmm. love it here. It's amazing, right? I mean, it's just, it is where I want to live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Boston was a nice place to live in certain ways. Los Angeles was a nice place to live right. in certain ways. Um, I have never felt anywhere like this where mm-hmm. this is just where I'm supposed to live. Yeah. Um, I just love 
everything about it. Um, and you know, so my wife, we first came down here, I think in fall of 2011, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and just fell in love with it at that point. Okay. Um, and when I started thinking really serious about seriously about pursuing songwriting and music, um, there, you know, we were thinking about Nashville, um, and, yeah. uh, and thinking about Austin and I mean, those are kind of the two places for the style of music. I think, personally. right. I think that's right. And I just like Austin better. Mm -hmm. Um, and I followed, I kind of trusted an instinct on that mm -hmm. to just come here and see how it would work. And my wife was really enthusiastic cause she loves it here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we have an eight year old and a 12 year old and they were kind of more just sort of like, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. we're going to move and we're going to miss our <laughs> friends and that's going to be really bad. But that's true. I guess they're still young enough where it's not like they're like in high school where yeah. it'd be, for them it would be a bigger deal. Yeah. And they embrace the adventure, the adventure. In yeah. A way. That's um, great. Uh, you know, but they're also eight and 12. So, you know, like it's just kind of one day at a time and they yeah. have good days and bad days and like their good days and bad days here aren't based on the fact that they're in Austin. Like right, it's just right. like just your kid and bad stuff <laughs> kind of throws you for a loop in a way that it probably still does when you're a grown up. but you oh, know, yeah. well, but when you're a grown up, you have that ability to be like, Oh, well that's, I guess that's not that big of a deal. Yes. You have more perspective. You yeah. can be like, ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Somebody saying that I smelled funny today. wasn't a big deal. Yeah. I, I probably did. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you came down here and then, what led you to the record and working with Walt Wilkins and all of that? Yeah, so um, so when we were thinking about moving down here, mm -hmm. one of the things I did is I came down for a songwriting workshop uh, at Kevin Welsh's house in Wimberley, Texas. Um, Dustin Welsh is so his kid, Dustin right? Welsh okay, is, yeah, yeah. Is, is his son, that's right. And so Kevin puts on these songwriting workshops, mm -hmm. um, you know, small groups, eight, ten people, yeah. And he brings in kind of a, a peer of his um, to also kind of teach and lead and, and listen cool. to songs and all that kind of stuff. And so when I came down for that, um, Walt was the other guy. Oh, okay. Um, and, um, and so, like, we just, like, it was three pretty intense days. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and on the first day, I played... Uh, an almost finished version of this, the first song on the record, The Watchman. Oh, Watchman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and Walt really liked it mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and helped me kind of finish it in the sense that actually he had me take out a couple lines. Oh, no. Um, how, was, how did you feel about that? I was totally, I was fine with it because he, oh, nice. he was right. Um, <laughs> he was That's totally a good right. attitude to have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'd never played that song for uh, for people, like mm -hmm. for large groups of people. I right. played it for a guy in Nashville, an early version earlier that year. Yeah. And that was the first time that anybody who I really trusted and believed in said, that's good. You know, yeah. So, so it was an earlier version of that song. Mm -hmm. And so I worked it on, I worked on it, but I never like played it for an audience. Right. And part of that workshop is at the end of it, Kevin invites like Wimberley, Texas, essentially to come to his house and listen to the songs from the workshop participants. That's awesome. And so I got up and I played that song and it was like 
it was an amazing, wonderful experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it just felt so liberating mm-hmm. to share something that I've been really reluctant. You know, I've been doing open mics in Boston, right. playing songs and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But that felt too personal. I felt like I would be exposing myself too much. Right. And then I played it for people, and that was a critical moment for me because I realized um, this is cool. Yeah. Like kind of exposing these innermost secrets and sharing them with people. Mm-hmm. Um that it 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 creates kind of this cool i don't know just this we're all in this together yes um yeah well and it seems also like i guess from my experience and just talking with other people it seems like the stuff that people are scared to to put down the stuff that intimidates people that's the stuff that people really respond to usually yeah because it's real yeah and they they like that yeah i think that's especially true here yes in, in austin yes 100 uh, you know in boston i have you know i have fun songs that i play that people really dug yeah um uh you know the song notches on the record yes uh mm-hmm. about watching your kids grow up and stuff so that was like boston people in boston would be crazy about that people right. here like it yeah but like they much more prefer it if i like if i am you know bleed on stage for them you yes know? um yeah people you know, that is interesting because, I mean, I can remember doing a couple open mics in, like, South Dakota, and i do, like, some more, like, personal songs, and people would just be like, huh, <laughs> you know? They'd just look at you like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm playing songs, yes. you know? That's, it's just the stuff that I do. And then down here, it's very, very different. You know, people come up and they're like, they want to talk to you about it, yep. which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you did the songwriting, and then he just said, when you do a record, like, I want to be involved, or what no, happened? No, I mean, that was like, that was well in advance of me even thinking about that I, that I could make a record. Yeah. Like, you know, at that point, I was thinking, I kind of want to be a songwriter and write songs mm-hmm. that other people will sing. You know, I didn't have a That wouldn't be a bad life either. Right. No, no, yeah. no. Doesn't sound bad at all. No. And I, but I didn't have any kind of confidence in my in my actual kind of physical voice at that point. Okay. Uh, and so, um, but Walt at that workshop said, yeah. get out and play three or four nights a week. Go to open mics. And that's when I really started to ramp mm-hmm. up yes. going to open mics. And so I did that in Boston. Um, and that at that point, I we were pretty sure we were going to move down here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny talking about it because it, when you look in hindsight, it was all so haphazard. Yes. Like really haphazard. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, me deciding to do this before I'd written, before I had any kind of body of work whatsoever. Yeah. Um, was nuts. I just had faith mm-hmm. that, that if I really did decide to do it all the time, which is what I decided to do, that the songs would be there for me. Yeah. And they have been. Uh, but so in any case, you know, I started getting out and playing a bunch and people started complimenting me on the songs, definitely, but on my voice too. Um, and especially if you were nervous about it, cause I'm always like self-conscious about my voice when people tell me like, well, cause one, at one point in time I got a review on Uh a record and it, Uh and it said he has absolutely no pipes. Oh. And so ever ever since then, it's just like followed me around that like I can just you know what I mean like I know it's probably objectively not, I know it's not true, but there's always that like little inkling of like 
doubt that just lingers there. No, it, it's it's not true. <laughs> and having listened to you sing live and listen to your recorded music, it's that's that is not a fair criticism. Well, well thank you. I, I will take that, <laughs> and I I will try to push that voice down just yes. a little bit further. Well, we all hate the so- the sound of our own voice. So. Oh, yeah. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's so true. You just, you hear it back, and it's like. Oh. What was it like in the studio when you because that this is your first record, right? Yeah, yeah. So what was it like hearing your voice back for the especially before like they do any of the touch ups and it's just like your dry like dry voice? That, yeah, that drives me bonkers. It was it was it was a vulnerable moment. <laughs> that is definitely true. <laughs> and, and I can and so Ron and Walt are sitting there, and I can I can imagine Ron just being like. Just being his normal, like, incredibly sweet self, just being like, oh, it sounds great. It sounds great. It sounds wonderful. And you're yeah. just like, I don't want to talk about it, Ron. Just right. like, can I fix that? And he'll go, no. No, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we we did – it was so funny because we went in in January and did it and uh, on January 3rd. So, we tracked on the 3rd and right. 4th of January. And I was starting to get sick. Oh, no. Like, like kind of – like either really bad cold or really mild flu sick. Oh no. Uh, and, but it was just like, I'm going to muscle through this. Yeah. You have to. And so like part of it, that the way that we, we worked it so that kind of the vocal vulnerability wasn't as much on my mind was we tracked four songs on that first Monday we were in, Mm -hmm. we tracked four songs on that second Tuesday and it didn't kind of matter what my voice sounded like. It was just, we're trying to get bass and we're trying to get drums and we're trying to get keys. And that's what we're shooting for. And we're going to come back and we'll do, we'll redo your acoustic guitar at that point, which we did on the third day. Yeah. And then on the fourth day, we'll redo the vocals. Um, and some of them you might not need to redo. And then, and there was one song, the last song on the record, Wasted on the Living, which is when I started to really get sick. Yeah. And you can hear it. Yeah. That we kept because huh. it works with the theme of the song. Yeah. Um, so that that process, the way it was just kind of like, I just kind of took it like one note, one chord at a time, mm-hmm. um, which was which ended up being really great because it was the most fun I think I've ever had doing anything professionally in my life. Yeah. And I just was able to savor every moment mm-hmm. in a way that, and you know, that's a credit to Ron and to Walt for kind of yes. creating that environment for me. No, they do, they do a wonderful job of doing that. Like I've done two records with Ron and like, I absolutely love working with him. Um, so let's talk about some songs on the record. Sure. Um, so you mentioned Watchmen. Um, one of the ones that I really liked was Everywhere But Here. Yeah. Um, tell me about that one. Yeah. So that's one that was... A, that was a lizard lounge yeah. thing because, and it was, it was, it's one of these ridiculous things. There was a dude uh, who got up and said, I'm going to sing called, uh, I'm going to sing a song called paper love. Okay. And like, I heard it and I was like, that's, you know, and and like a light bulb, you know, went on and I was like, that's so cool because like you could write the song about long distance relationships and like mm-hmm. people like who write letters back and forth, yeah. but like it doesn't work in person. Cause that had been my experience in a bunch of different contexts before oh. my wife is I'd had just these long horrible, distance. messy, long distance relationships. Oh, those are the worst. Those are the worst. And terrible. S- and, it, and so like, I was like, that's, that's so cool. And you know, it's like Monday night at midnight or something. And so I'd like put a little note in my phone. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then he started singing the song, and the name of the song was actually Faded Love. Oh. So I'd misheard it. <laughs> so at that uh, point, it's yours. <laughs> yes. And so, and so the way that I tend to write is I walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I write as I walk like, okay. with my phone. So I'll try to go on like an hour, 45 or two minute, uh, two hour long walk in the yeah. morning. And, uh, and so the next day I, I started doing it and it just kind of, um, the chorus came pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and it was just there and I was, and it was one of those moments that I know that you get, I'm oh, certain sure. that you get where it's just kind of like, where did this come from? You know, this is just a total gift from the muse. And I was just like, all right. And and when that happens for a part of the song, you kind of feel a duty and obligation to make sure that the rest of the song works. Mm-hmm. And so I spent, so the choruses came pretty fast, but quick, but the verses were like, you know, I think it took another week or so okay. um, of really kind of working on it. And Got to drag them out a yeah. little bit. And, uh, you know, and so that's kind of where that that all came from, and cool. uh, and I lo- it's just a song that I love playing. Well, it's it's really catchy, and I think it's certainly relatable because I, I think just about everybody I know has done that long distance thing and dealt with the. Uh, the frustration that comes out of that. Yeah. And then also, and clearly your long distance thing didn't work out either. That you were writing from. Right. And also the, you know, just like how sad it can be when it all sort of falls apart in a certain way, because it's like you set aside all this time with the hope yeah. that it was going to end in a good way where yeah. you end up being together and then it doesn't. And I think the song captures that very well. Well, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It was uh, it was a it was a cool moment in the studio yeah. too. It was a moment in the studio where we all kind of looked at each other and were like, "This is, this is good. This is yeah. this is fun." Mm-hmm. And I and it, when I'd written it and when I played it for a, for the last many months before I recorded it, it had a little bit of a there was a mm-hmm. it was a little bit too sad almost. Um, that can happen. And we got it. And my original notion of it had been, it's kind of a little bit funny. In the sense that, like, <laughs> yeah, I guess in, in a way, yeah, funny in like a sad way, right, right. Um, but like, um, it wasn't meant to be just like this total like catastrophe of sadness, right. you know, right. And so, and like, and somehow, mm-hmm. like, the stars aligned, and it came back to this place where it had been when I really started to write it, right. Um, and so, and so that was a neat experience to right. see it, to see this thing. Mm-hmm that had just been me and my guitar kind of flower into this real song. Yes. Well, and somewhat too, I guess like going with uh, sort of the humor of it too, when you think about like the subject material, that makes total sense too, because in a lot of those like long distance things, it's like there's a certain amount of like, that's the folly of youth in a certain way for a lot of those long distance things. Like I can remember when I, the, the biggest long-term one that I had, long-distance one as well, I would tell people about it, and they would all just go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they would give me this look like, oh, that's that's not going to end well. Yeah. <laughs> and in my head, I'm like, no, I'm not. That's not going to happen to me. I'm going to be that one dude where I make it out. Yeah. And uh, they were right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness. Okay, so you had that one everywhere, everywhere but here. Um, what about better luck next time? Because that one seems, uh, that seems to make a Jason Isbell comparison. That seems like your elephant on the record. Yeah, that one. Well, that's nice of you to say. Elephant is a wonderful song. It is. Um, 
And uh, that song, I wrote that at that mm-hmm. that weekend at Kevin Walsh's house. Oh wow! Um, I was sitting. Uh, he has a little side porch. And yeah. I was sitting on it, and he came up and talked to me, and he said, um, "You know, think about a moment from your life." Mm-hmm. that you want to like almost like a movie scene yeah or not even a movie scene but just a, an image yeah um and write it yeah and i had a couple weeks before that thought about writing a song about mm-hmm. the about uh when my wife and i first mm-hmm. got pregnant the first pregnancy that yeah. we had uh she had a miscarriage yeah um and i just remember it was july 3rd 2003 mm-hmm. yeah and i remember uh, getting home after being at the doctor where it was discovered that yeah. that that uh, that we'd had this miscarriage and just walking in the door July 3rd it was a beautiful Boston day like yeah. kind of unseasonably not humid and like you could hear the birds chirping and you know the apartment we lived in that time was kind of up in the trees and mm-hmm. I just remember everything being so pleasant but no but just having this incredible profound ache yeah in my heart that i really had never experienced anything like that before yeah um and so i wrote that song and that's another one i didn't play yeah um i didn't play for anybody i didn't play for my wife yeah um i can imagine that'd be tough yeah you know and then i went in january of last year to a workshop put on by mary gauchet oh uh, yeah and who you are playing with on thursday yeah i'm playing with on Which this that should be great on this yeah i'm looking very forward to that uh, and, um, and she's all about vulnerability and yeah, <laughs> that might know, be an understatement, <laughs> right? As, but as a way of kind of, in, of, of encouraging connection. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I played that song, uh, in the large group and she was just like, sorry, man, you got to start playing that for people. Um, mm-hmm. you just have to get out and play that. And I was talking and like, there were some, I felt like there were some clunkers in it and yeah. like it felt sort of weird in a couple of spots. And she said, Nope, it's honest. Yeah. Um, and, and get out there and start playing it. Yeah. And I did. And, uh, and it's now that and everywhere, but here, I just love playing those two songs. Mm-hmm. I adore playing those two songs now because of what we were talking mm-hmm. about before here, people, and even in Boston, people would be so receptive Yes. To that vulnerability. Yes. You know. Well, and because I mean, I was listening to your record like the past couple days, just like keeping it like I was playing it on my phone as I'm like walking around the house, you know, like doing dishes and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, like that song came on and I was like, started listening. I'm like, what? It- <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. And it was just like, oh my goodness. Like, yeah. And like, so this morning I was making eggs and it came on again. And I was like, I'm just going to stop here. Turn the heat <laughs> down a little bit. Because it's one of those songs where it, at least for me, I just sit there and go, oh my God. Like it conveys that, that pain very, very well. And I mean, I don't, I don't have kids. Like I'm, I'm not, I, I like haven't had that experience, but like it's it's still even for someone like me seemed very very relatable that like yeah just the, uh, the line where she's like she says just don't don't touch me yeah and you're just like oh my god <laughs> like because I'm, la- I'm laughing but it's kind of an uncomfortable laugh it's oh, uh, sure it was that was and that was one yeah, I was talking about everywhere but here being yeah. one that like I just had to slave over mm-hmm. that one came to me and it was just like it just yeah. like dropped out of the sky <laughs> right, right, into right. my lap and it was just like four verses in like 20 minutes yeah and 
so that was part of the reason I didn't trust it as much because right. I felt like usually I have to just really like yeah you know work over every word and make sure it all fits just right mm-hmm. um, and yeah sometimes sometimes it just falls out of the sky yeah and I mean that one it does really well and I mean yeah I know I was getting worked up just just having flashbacks to moments where you're like trying to make somebody that you love like feel better and yeah. you just and you're like I'm I can't do anything right now and then yeah. you just got to sit there and yeah it's just tough yeah and the song conveys that beautifully I think well I appreciate that and I felt like it came out pretty well on the record too oh, I was yeah. I was really happy with with the way that the arrangement came together mm-hmm. and you know Kim Deschamps played steel on it oh yeah um, and uh and just added a tremendous wonderful atmosphere he and so mm-hmm. i'm gonna play with kim mm-hmm. on the 8th of june at the cactus cafe nice. um and so i'm you know it was gonna be just me and i thought i want to have mm-hmm. I, I i've started to really like having as m- kind of more pieces with yes yes as i play um, now that I'm able to do that. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm adding, I'm going to have Kim play that show with me just cause he's just such a wonderful, compassionate player. Yeah. Well, and it's, I find too, that once you start like fleshing out with the band, it lets you focus on performing more so than like, if you're doing it solo, it's like, I have to, you have to focus on playing Yep. and at the same time, like how you sing or as opposed to if you have the full band, it's like, well, I can, it doesn't matter if I don't, if I don't play perfectly, I can just focus on being the songwriter in this moment Yeah. and like delivering it. Yeah. So I, I like it a lot, yeah. but be careful. I'm, I think, what is it? Thursday we're playing and I've got like eight people that we're playing with yeah. and it's like, starting to think like this might be too many moving parts. Yeah. Yep. So, and I met your bass player Matt. Last, last Monday. Oh yeah. Uh, I just went to house wine. Yeah. Uh, with a couple of friends on that open mic. Uh, and it's a great one and it's, and it's a fun one and he got up and played and he's just, he's ridiculous. He's a freak, right? It's like not fair almost. I know. You know, and he just, he plays and, it's funny when he started playing bass. Um, do you know Phil Hurley at all? I don't. Uh, he plays with the South Austin Moonlighters. Yeah. Okay. So um, Phil's been a friend of mine for a while, and um, Matt filled in on bass for this other band at this event, and Phil saw him play, and Matt had never played bass before. And Phil told me, he's like, dude, I saw this band. They had this killer bass player. And I'm like, do you mean my friend Vinny's that guy? And he's like, yeah, yeah, Who's the little, like, the, the guy playing bass? And I'm like... <laughs> That's Matt. He's my good friend. So then I was like, Matt, you need to play bass in my band. <laughs> yeah. So ever since then, he's been playing bass, and he's just he's he's so good. And it's he's crazy. on the new record, right? Yes. Okay. Which we're putting out in two days. Yes. And I'm like, just I'll give you a copy before you go. Great. But um, yeah. So that's just so yeah. I got to do all that stuff. Oh my goodness. Let's not, yes, <laughs> let's not dive too far. I know. I mean, did you do a big release for this one? Uh, it's uh, kind of, um, you know, I'm still sending stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've gotten a little bit of, of radio around nice. the country, so that's good. Um, that's awesome. It, um, have you been, is that through like Jenny or have you been sending it out on your own? Uh, so yeah, we've been kind of 
coordinating it together. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, but you know, having Jenny's kind of imprint, mm-hmm. uh, is really helpful. Yes. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so there was that aspect of the release of getting kind of discs into the hands of people that need physical discs. Yes. Um, and, uh, and the, the release party itself, mm-hmm. um, you know, we did that at one-to-one and it was really fun and good sounding room um, right and it was it, they, it was really good yeah um and uh but i'm still sent you know i'm starting to i, I kind of did the americana radio list and mm-hmm. now i'm sending it out to folk radio too cool um and just kind of seeing what happens with that yeah um but uh you know thank you w-e-r-u <laughs> in maine nice i appreciate it kdnk in carbondale colorado Nice. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. And then a couple of other kind of podcast online people have taken it too. So it's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, well, it looks like we are at 50. Wow, we did 52 minutes. So that's perfect. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. Dude, absolutely. Thanks for being on the show, Terry. My pleasure. Awesome. Put the books in a box Just as quick as I can And I hope she doesn't see it No She's downstairs in the kitchen With a half-drunk can of beer Birds keep singing And the grass still grows I don't want to be touched just yet Better look next time Say, tell me what you wanna do. I'll do anything at all. She says, honey, just get me out of here. So we jump into the car and we drive through the night in a useless attempt to outrun our tears.
in a broken down motel And silently I begin to cry She sits down next to me And puts her hand on my arm She says we'll have better luck next time There is my interview with Terry Klein. The song you just heard was Better Luck Next Time. And man, it's a, it's a heavy song. But it, it touches upon something that affects a lot of people. I can think of a couple, a few couples in, in my life that I've known who've had this situation. And I'm sure they would appreciate hearing that someone else has experienced that as well and knows what it's like to have something so promising, something that can be so life-sustaining and life-fulfilling, sort of taken away suddenly without warning. And so I'm glad that songs like this exist out there. In fact, songs like this, they, they could probably keep somebody going. And I'd like to thank Terry for writing it. Uh, once again, this was an interview with Terry Klein. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, the next guests that I have coming up are the traveling ones. That'll be up in a couple weeks. Uh, if you notice that this sounds a little different than the earlier recordings, um, my interface apparently has just died, so it might be a bit before the next interview is up. But thanks for tuning in, and until next time, be good to each is other. Is there a cover? Dude, five bucks is a lot of money. I could buy like a box of cereal with that or something like that. I mean, it's not like they... 